Jesus tells a parable about a rich man ignoring the poor man who lives at the bottom of his garden. It's easy for us to agree, to say, yeah, that's terrible. People should behave better. But that's not what parables are for. Parables are about teaching us something about ourselves and about God. This isn't a story about someone else. So let's dive in and see what God is telling us today. Hi, welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and I get to be the minister here. It's a pleasure to have you with us this morning. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you are watching on video, please leave a comment. Tell us who you are and where you're from. And if you have any prayer requests, please let us know. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you don't miss anything. Today I'm joined by Yvonne and Blake in our worship. Blake will read for us and later Yvonne will lead us in our prayers. Luke chapter 16 verses 19 to 31 There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. A rich man walks past a poor man who sits at his gate every day. It's not that he doesn't see the poor man, it's that the rich man ignores the poor man's suffering. The rich man could help, he has the means, but he chooses to do absolutely nothing to make the life of the poor man even a little better. The rich man doesn't offer even a few coins to alleviate the poor man's suffering, even though he wouldn't miss the money. The rich man doesn't offer food to the starving man in the street, even though the rich man feasts every day. The rich man doesn't offer bandages to bind the poor man's sores, instead leaving the dogs to be the only ones who show any concern for the poor man's well-being. And the rich man ends up in hell, while the poor man is in heaven. Then it all gets a bit Charles Dickens with the rich man asking Father Abraham if he can go back to warn his family about their impending fate if they don't change their ways. I didn't choose this reading today. It's just what was next in the list. 
In fact, when I looked at it at the start of the week, I was genuinely considering picking something else. I mean, what else is there to say? This story is nothing new. It's nothing we haven't heard before, so what could I say that could make any difference? But that's the story, isn't it? This tale of poor Lazarus, sitting ignored at the gates of his wealthy neighbour, becomes a reality not with the intent to do harm, but with a shrug of the shoulders and a gaze averted. A shrug of my shoulders and my gaze averted. I'm not rich. This story isn't about me. I'm just getting by, especially now with the cost of living increase. Besides, these days there's a welfare system. If this guy's out in the streets, it's because he's chosen to be there. He could get help if he wanted. So this story isn't the same now as it was in Jesus' day. This week we've learned that life expectancy at birth in Scotland fell in the latest year with the average life expectancy at birth for males being 66.6 years and 80.8 years for females, according to the statistics published by the National Records of Scotland. And there are no prizes for guessing what the biggest factor in lower life expectancy is. Deprivation. Poverty is by far the biggest determinant of life expectancy. If you are a man living in the poorest areas in Scotland, you can expect to live 13.7 years fewer than a man living in one of the most wealthy areas. Of course, COVID accounts for a chunk of the fall in the last two years, but the numbers have been going down for the last 10 years. And I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to pretend that I understand things that I don't, but I do have some relevant experience. I have a degree in community education, so I know a bit about the impact of poverty on people's lives. I also have a master's in social research, which included a big chunk of policy analysis. I think I can say with some confidence, based both on this parable and on recent experience, that trickle-down economics is a lie. The idea that giving more money to the rich will somehow make its way down to the bottom of the economic pile is perhaps the biggest con ever staged. Even that well-known lefty Joe Biden says so. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that Jesus agrees. Here's how the con works. You could be rich. If you work hard enough or win the lottery, you actually have more chance of being struck by lightning than winning the lottery. But it could be you. And if you do that, you shouldn't be penalised for your hard work or blind luck. You should get to keep the money because you have earned it or inherited it. And those people on benefits, the ones who will die 11 years earlier, well, they're just too lazy to work. So... We should keep benefit payments at an absolute minimum because, well, why should I pay for them? I've worked hard. This week, the biggest selling newspaper in the UK proclaimed that freedom begins with tax cuts. Freedom from what exactly? Freedom from being able to contribute to the welfare of society. Having the privileged position of playing a part in teaching children to read and write. Being able to treat the sick. In Jesus' time, there was no organised welfare state, but the Torah, the Law of Moses and the Prophets had made it very clear that everyone had the responsibility to look after those who needed help. There were some really simple but effective rules and practices that that helped with that. You weren't allowed, for example, to harvest to the edge of a field, and any grain that fell on the ground while you cut it was to be left so that orphans and widows and aliens could glean the land and have enough to eat. 
there was also an expectation that if you had the means, that you should give money to the poor. That was because people recognised that people didn't choose to be sick. They didn't choose to be destitute. And it could just as easily be you. As we heard in last week's parable, status and wealth are precarious. The rich man could just have easily been in Lazarus's place. Part of the lie of trickle-down economics is that it sees each of us as unconnected individuals. It tells us that my welfare has nothing to do with you. We saw in the COVID lockdown that that's absolutely not true. We realised pretty quickly that without shop workers and bin men and delivery drivers and healthcare staff, we would all be in big trouble. Without people to look after those who can't look after themselves, people die. And that's always been true. The law of Moses recognised this and so it contains rules to ensure that the care of others is given. But that's not like stealing or murdering someone. Nobody's going to put you in trial for not helping your neighbour. At least not in this life. The parable moves to the afterlife, where Lazarus is seen reclining in the bosom of Abraham, while the rich man is tormented. Send Lazarus to help me, begs the rich man. But the chasm between them is fixed. So we need to address something of heaven and hell at this point. It's from passages like this that we get much of our understanding of the big bad fire. But we need to be very careful not to reach beyond what the passage is about. This is an apocalyptic vision. It's a prophetic story, a parable. It's a moral tale designed to help us to realise the consequences of our behaviour and beliefs. And to repent, to rethink and make changes. The picture of heaven and hell is there to make us realise the extent of Lazarus's suffering in this world. Because this is a story for us now. In these stories we're invited to try on the characters and see the story from their point of view. So when we inhabit the world of the rich man we are appalled. How could someone with so much be so blind to the plight of the poor man at his gate? But beyond our moral distaste we tend to see ourselves as not like him. We are not rich, as much as we perhaps might like to be. So the only other option in the story is for us to be Lazarus. We are the poor man, covered with sores, completely reliant on the generosity of passing strangers. And when we step into his world, we see the world very differently. We realise just how vulnerable we are to all kinds of things like illness and injury that can change our lives in an instant, making us completely reliant on people in a way that we could never have imagined. The parable is about the rich helping the poor then. Well, yes. Yes, it is. Although it's probably more about helping those who love money to realise that their infatuation with wealth has far-reaching consequences. That often results in seeing others as worth less, as outsiders. One of the things we have to be clear about in the Gospel of Luke is the thread of revolution that runs from the beginning to the end. When Mary becomes pregnant at the very start of the Gospel, she sings a song. We call it the Magnificat. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, she says, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Luke's Gospel is deeply interested in big change, the kind of change that happens when the law becomes more than a set of guidelines for the minimum requirements. It's more of a a blueprint for a community where God's desire for human flourishing is at the heart of everything. Jesus is the fulfilment of the law. He is that blueprint. He is the way. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told a story about a rich man who ignored the plight of a poor neighbour. The church has spent the last 2,000 years arguing about what heaven and hell look like. We've spent the last 2,000 years justifying our inaction because we define the rich man as richer than me. I didn't cause the poor man's problems, so the story really doesn't apply to me. The law applies to everyone equally. The parable sets up two extremes because that helps us to see the problem. It helps us to identify the great chasm between the rich and the poor and to see clearly the impact the rich man's behaviour has on the poor man. I think we need to realise that We are all in this story somewhere. There can be moments where we can help others and moments where we need help from others. Paul said that when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Why? Because he knew we were all connected. We're not just a bunch of individuals. We're all part of the same body. We need each other. We can only really flourish when everyone flourishes. The rich man asked to go back to warn his family. He's told that they have all the information they need. They have the law and the prophets. And we have that too, and we have Jesus. We have no excuses. We can never say that we didn't know that it was up to us to help our neighbour or that our failure to act has no consequences for ourselves as well as others. So the question is always, what now? How will we behave? How will we act? How will we make this real? When our songs of joyful celebration are drowned out by the groans of those in need Echoing creation that's waiting like a prisoner to be free Father, we cry out How long until the pain and suffering cease We pray that your kingdom Fill this world with justice, love and peace Have mercy, Lord, on the earth you created Have mercy, Lord, through us Father, our hands, raise our voices, may we demonstrate your love. 
that we are with you in establishing justice in this world. We believe in life before death. Tell that to the person shunned because of the colour of their skin. We believe in life before death. Tell that to the person shouted down an account of educational attainment. We believe in life before death. Tell that to the person forced to hide a crucial part of who they are because of the fear of coming out in a society that can be so very cruel. We believe in life before death. Tell that to the victims of abusive relationships. We believe in life before death. Tell this to the father who can't feed his family or the mother who can't access health care for her child. We believe in life before death. Tell that to the person for whom the opportunities of life, very much available to others, are withheld from them on account of one or many types of prejudice. Lord, this isn't justice. This isn't the kingdom. By the power of your spirit, 
make us see what we need to change and give us the confidence to believe that we can offer more good to the world than we perhaps think we can. Lord, we learn from you that the greatest gifts we can give to others is our time, our respect and our love. As your people, we seek to be faithful in carrying forward the example of Jesus in our dealing with each other. So today, this week, inspire us to be the best version of ourselves we can be. Lead us to the situations and the people that we can influence positively through the human touch that reflects the love of your Son who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Go and see with God's eyes. Serve all in need. And don't let privilege blind you. Give what you have. Use what you can. Help everyone. The blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Thank you.